live from the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, it's the 66th Annual Academy Awards. And here are the stars, Whoopi Goldberg in a beautiful outfit, Liam Neeson as Oscar Schindler, Steven Spielberg, and my god, who are these two dashing fellows? Why, it's Brett Doze and Christian Ramos here to present their opinions on this because somehow on March 21st, 1994, they're alive because they came back from the future or something. That was brilliant. Thank you. Bravo. Just to let you all know, I was born in April of that year, so yeah, I wasn't alive yet. Yeah, I was born of March the next in March of the next year, so... But we're here. Whatever. We're here to talk about it. We are here, and we're going to have a fun time doing it. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, these movies are the movies of 1993, you know, 66th Academy Awards. Um... The winner that year, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Things are going to be a little bit different, you said, for this podcast. We're not going to be talking about history a lot. Yeah, I mean, like 1993. Clinton became president. It's it's not like 1968 where like a bunch of crazy stuff happened. Not a lot happened. Not a lot happened. And, you know, time saver. Um, it's not going to be two hours. But you have a suggestion for those who want to get an idea of what was going on. Yeah. Which is... What was it? It was uh, Whoopi. Oh, my Whoopi. God. Yeah, oh, her geez. monologue. No, I'm already forgetting this. Watch Whoopi Goldberg, the host for that year, uh, the first solo female, let alone African-American female, to host it. Watch her monologue on YouTube. It's pretty good. She details a lot of side jokes that really are Hollywood industry jokes, kind of current affairs of the day. Affairs as in she talks about, like, a Hollywood madam. Um... She talks about supporting literally every cause out there because she doesn't want to take the time to, you know, single out a specific one, which is cool. That's her thing. She does it, I think, in the next year, too. But, yeah, it's really funny. She's good. Uh, if you've seen any other of the, like, uh, monologues from Billy Crystal from the year before or any other year, you, you miss him, but then Whoopi comes out and you're like, oh, God, she's funny. And I love Whoopi. Oh, yeah. How and she even, said, Whoopi? she even says in this Oscars... Uh, Hopefully we'll find out if his last name really is Schindler. <laughs> and this is her first year doing it. Like, she's one of those hosts that um, is kind of, like, situated in Oscar history. Mm-hmm. Is one of those hosts that hosted it a number of times. Um, do you know how many? I think four. Four? Yeah. Um, her, her last two were for the Shakespeare in Love year and the Beautiful Mind year. Mm, but those okay. two she got creative coming out. Dressed up as uh, Queen Elizabeth. That's right. I mean, she came yes. down from the ceiling as Moulin Rouge. Ah, yes. Yeah, She's this, so I mean, good. This she just came out normally, but she did say so. They got brave and gave me a three-hour show. <laughs> three hours and fifteen minutes, not three hours exact. <clears throat> we'll talk about that later. Another three hour and fifteen minutes. You know, Schindler's List was that length of time. It's mm-hmm. an epic. Obviously, very much worth the time. But we'll get into that. Um, so just a quick note on. You know, this podcast and the reason that we're recording this over a month after we did the last one, um, which was over 1968, I did some some math. I did math for once. Yet he was a film major. Yet I was a film major. Um, part of the reason we had this long break um, and we will continue to have them is that we do watch a lot of movies to kind of prepare for this. Between the two of us, we both watched 14 films from 1993, and this is just when we found out that this was the year that we were doing. We've seen a lot of other movies from this year that 
we didn't watch in prep for this, but we will talk about some. Um, but I mean, we literally spent 48 hours pretty much watching movies for this. Um, so That's two days, two days, you know, a lot of movies. So I have a lot to talk about, and it was, I thought it was a good year. It was a lot of stuff, a lot of Steven Spielberg, a lot of Steven, which is always good. Yeah, well, hey now, pretty much always good. I love Steven, of course, we all love Steven. Um, so what do you say? Should we just jump right in? We should talk about these Oscars. Anything else from the Oscars this year you want to talk about before we get into the movies? And not really. It was sort of destined to be Spielberg's oh, yeah. big moment. He was the king of the Oscars. I mean, it was not a surprise at all. Yeah. So, I mean, these nominees are going to talk about him, but just know that Spielberg is the king, mm-hmm. and he's uh, better than you. Yeah. He's better than me. There's a lot of ways that this was his year, just aside from Schindler's List being the big winner, um, his first Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. His first Oscar. His first Oscar. Does yeah. he have another Best Picture winner? No. Because Saving Private Ryan didn't no, that's win. That's it. So that's it. Um, but we'll start. We'll start with the other nominees first, see what we like, what we thought. And the first one that we're going to talk about is now kind of heralded as more of an action thriller movie classic. Dun, dun, dun. Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Just celebrated its 25th anniversary like last week. It did. Yeah, I actually saw a really, really good article on it. Um Variety. I can't remember the author of it. I think it was through Variety uh, that really made me appreciate it a lot more. It was a pretty significant film. Um, but it was. It received seven nominations. Um, it only won one of them. Um, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones. Who, funny enough, was like, this is going to be the end of my career. This movie, nobody's going to see it. Flash forward. And the Oscar goes to Tommy Lee Jones. Which is funny because... And maybe it's because of my age and just the amount of movies I've seen. I don't think a whole lot about Tommy Lee Jones' career before The Fugitive. Like, it's almost like this was more of a career kicker, like upstarter. He peaked. Yeah, I mean, he did this. He did the Men in Black movies. Which was after. After. Still, that's where I know him from originally. Yeah, I mean, this was the starting point for me at least. I mean, he's obviously had a great career since then. No Country for Old Men. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Lincoln. Lincoln. Both great performances. And even you said this this performance of his is just Tommy Lee Jones being Tommy Lee Jones. It is. It's nothing like particularly spectacular and I don't know if it would win today, but he's doing he's doing him. No, yeah. He's doing you. He is, and I don't I don't know because I didn't I wasn't around in that time. Maybe that was new for people, and that's part of the appeal. Like, when we watch it today, obviously it's Tommy Lee Jones playing Tommy Lee Jones because we've seen him for so long. And even in his category, he's going against, like, some really heavy hitters. Oh, that's it. great performances. You have little Leo DiCaprio, Mm -hmm. his, like, first big movie. You have John Malkovich, Line of Fire. Didn't get to see that. Me either. Pete Postlewaite in The Name of the Father, which I really liked him in that. He was great. And, like, the biggest heavy hitter there, like Ray Fiennes, Schindler's List, Nazi, pure evil, my god. I mean, if you think about this, three of these categories are really like actors beginning to come into their own way. You got Tommy Lee Jones, obviously, Leo, that's pretty obvious. Ray Fiennes, who three years later was in The English Patient, mm-hmm. which was his big winner, um, of course now is Voldemort and the, um, what's his name from the Grand Budapest Hotel? Which he was amazing in. Gustav. Gustav. Monsieur Gustav. Um, but yeah, great category. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, what do you think about that win? 
fine. Right. I mean, I would go with Ray Fines myself personally. Maybe even Pete. Pete's very underappreciated. I've really struggled with this category. I go back and forth a lot. Not to discredit his performance. I mean, he's good, but I definitely would not pick Tommy Lee Jones. Um, it would be between Leo, Rafe, and Pete Postlewaite. Um, and that, I think it's because they all do such different things in their movies. Like, mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio is um, this young um, child with, um, I, wanna, I don't know if it's autism, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but it kind of covers that, you know, menti- mental handicap type thing in a way that doesn't feel mm-hmm. um, like outsider that's in a why, sense. That's why many people think that he should have won for this. Yeah, yeah. he's like at a young age too doing all this. And he was he was so good. He mm-hmm. was great. He really sold that performance. Then you got Ray Fiennes, who we'll talk about more, just pure evil, very fierce. And Pete Postlewaite, who is very kind of reserved, a little bit understated, um, more, emotional more emotional, yeah. So they all do three different things. And Tommy Lee Jones is, of course, different from all of them. There is no, like, baity thing in that movie that signifies that win. And we, we talk about Tommy Lee Jones so much in terms of this movie instead of the movie itself because, really, I feel he's the movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah? Sorry, Harrison. But, I mean, Harrison, Harrison is more the action of the movie while Tommy is more like the good deliveries. He has the mm. good lines. He does. I mean, there's the scene, the iconic scene. It's like, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. And it was improv. Like, yeah. a, a, apparently, like, a lot of his lines are improvised. And, and he does have some really quirky ones. And that's his entire goal. He don't care if this guy killed his wife or not. He's just going to catch whoever did it then. And I think the, the best thing about his performance, maybe not the best thing, but one of the great things is that you kind of see through his actions and his expressions. Like, he starts out, he just wants to get this guy. But as time goes on... He begins to empathize a little more with mm-hmm. Harrison Ford's character, who we haven't even really explained the plot, is falsely um, convicted of killing his wife. Mm-hmm. And he kind of goes on the run. There's this huge train crash accident thing. Um, but by the end, Tommy Lee Jones is like, man, this guy, he, he really didn't do it. Like, there's no way he did this. And there's, there's this big conspiracy. Found. Right, exactly. Yeah. And a good movie. It is, it is a good movie. It yeah. is a good movie. It's a surprise nomination, too. It's... Considering I don't think it was nominated for any other major award leading up to Oscars. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I don't think anyway. Because it's not like it's like that one Best Picture nominee that's like it's held up really well. Mm-hmm. And it like seven noms is not bad at all. Yeah. That's actually really good. Yeah, the most it was nominated for was mostly supporting actor and then a lot of technical awards. Right, right. And then come Academy Awards, hey, Best Picture nominee. Yeah, and I mean, the director uh, did not get nominated. He was the only Best Picture nominee to not get a director nom, Andrew Davis. Uh, but someone who had experience with action films, and I don't know, like, do you see this as an action film? Not really, maybe? I don't know. I... It's not as action as you would think. It's not. It, it's... it's mostly Harrison running around, and then he stops for a long period of time to sort of just disguise himself and find evidence to... Yeah. Make himself unguilty, innocent. And Harrison Ford's an extra. He doesn't really talk much in this movie. Mm-hmm. He does have a scene right at the beginning where he is kind of in shock when the police are talking to him. Yeah. And he's like about to break down, but really is a void. And that, I thought he was incredible in that one scene. I mean, he's good in the rest of the movie. But really, the, to me, there were only two 
big scenes that made this an action film and it was the big train wreck and the scene kind of near the end where Harrison does go into like action movie star and oh, does some kicking and punching where and things like that. shooting at each other. And yeah. It's cat and mouse pretty much. And, and those were my two least favorite scenes in the movie because it didn't fit with the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like were two big set pieces that bookended a much more... <sighs> it's like the only realistic scene was the scene in the like the water towers, whatever you want to call those, like at the dam. Oh, yes. Where Harrison is getting chased by Tommy. And then you have, like, the famous line, and then he jumps for it. He jumps in. That's, like, the only kind of plausible, realistic scene. Yeah. That train uh, scene is... It's, oh, it's so over the top. Yeah. It's... I did not... It was a fine scene. And, like, I get it, but... And again, this is based on a television show mm-hmm. of the same name, The Fugitive. So maybe it's, like, they're just harkening back to a plot line of the TV show. It was made in, like, the 60s, so we would never have seen it. Right. I mean, it, it's... I think it's more of a thriller. Yeah, but it is mystery too. Right, yeah, right, right. It it is very calculative. And I would um, say the only problem I had with it was I have you have to pay so close attention near the end to like the big sort of conspiracy mm-hmm. because I didn't get it at first and I had to read up and I was like, oh, okay. it does get a bit confusing. Yeah, it really does. Um, and I mean, I part of me is really glad that it was nominated because it's not. It's not a film you'd expect to be nominated, especially in this year. Like mm-hmm. the other four nominees are completely different. It's a and genre picture. It is a genre picture. And, like, you think about action slash thriller films like this that are nominated. I mean, what, Fury Road? <laughs> and that's not even similar to this. It's completely different. But would it but, have been the popular movie of the day? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. T- TBA. TBA. To be announced. But, yeah, that's the future. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's, I, I'd recommend it. Yeah, it's it's still pretty popular. It's, I like Harrison Ford anyway. Oh, I love Harrison Even Ford. Even if you're just watching it for just like a movie and not like an Oscar marathon. Oh, yeah. No, totally. It's it's totally a movie you just pop in and like enjoy. It's out of the five. It's the most easily accessible and easily watch. Clearly. Like multiple times too. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's held up. It's one of the more popular ones from that year. Cool. So wrapping up The Fugitive, we're going to move on to our next movie, which also received seven nominations but did not win any awards. Um, It did have big nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, um, three acting categories. That is the Daniel Day-Lewis-led movie In the Name of the Father. A surprise Really? You didn't expect to like it? No. Really? I like, I've never expected myself to even see this movie. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it, and I was like, wow, I actually like this. This makes sense. It has good performances in it. It it's does. It's like a good story. I actually looked into the story just to understand more of the context. But yeah. Do you want me to get the plot? Sure, yeah. Go for okay, it. Okay, so, what, we're in 1970s Ireland. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I get my Irish accent out here. Sure, Sharona, sure, Sharona, sure. Okay. Yes. Sure, Sharona, here. <laughs> So anyway, 1970s Ireland, the IRA, there's a lot of bombings going on because of the, the, the British-UK-run Ireland. They don't want that. Daniel Day-Lewis's character is sort of falsely convicted of a nightclub bombing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then his family, his entire family, is pretty much into that quote-unquote conspiracy. They're also charged with it, his father including. Uh, they get sent to prison, obviously, and, well, even before that, he's sort of tortured into confessing. Right. Obviously, we right. know he didn't do it. Yeah. He knows he didn't do it. The police don't give a 
care in the world. But. And it, it par- partially because the police are very biased mm-hmm. um, and want they the police do not have a good image, so they want to catch them quickly. These people are easy to put in jail because nobody cares outside yeah. of their friends and family. And also because Daniel Day-Lewis is an unreliable source. Yeah. The night of the bombing, he is, like, he robs a sex worker. Um, his alibi comes from a homeless man in a park. Hmm. And so it's very easy to see why they took advantage of him, and he was one of them that they put in prison. So Daniel Day-Lewis's character and his father, Pete Postlewaite, mm-hmm. um, they sort of get in contact with Emma Thompson. Uh, this is all a true story, again, people. Uh, Emma Thompson, who's a lawyer, Gareth Pierce, who knows, again, that they're not guilty, and she tries her damnedest to get them out of there. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, too, how she does it. I really liked Emma Thompson in this movie. She's in it for the last, maybe, 40 minutes or so. Right, but she right. does, I mean, she does, her, she does herself a favor. She definitely comes in and really... Um, puts her stamp on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of the movie, it's Daniel Day-Lewis and Pete Postlewaite kind of in their relationship, and they kind of rule the roast. Emma Thompson comes in, and she just kind of goes in right with them. Mm-hmm. Um, she is as essential. Um, and it's kind of just a nice trio of characters that kind of work well together. And in my review that I wrote, which you can see on the website, uh, I said that Pete Postlewaite did something that nobody else could do and that was out act Daniel Day-Lewis he did he really did Daniel Day-Lewis who yeah I mean so let me just describe Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie like I had heard of this movie before I had no idea what about I thought it was about a freaking rock star because you look at the cover it's just a picture of Daniel Day-Lewis's face he's got long rocker hair it's a really bad poster it is terrible and he's kind of got this like he looks like Jim Morrison yeah is what he looks like and so and his character is kind of like that. Like my, the minute I knew I was going to enjoy this character was when him and his buddies have a pint at Guinness and they're singing a Bob Dylan song, <laughs> um, like a Rolling Stone, in this pub. But he is a wild, like, free spirit. I want. I, I don't want to say hippie. He's faux hippie. He tries to fit in with the hippies. Um, then you have his father, who's very traditional, good man, religious, religious, a lot of values. He sent, I mean, he sends him off to England to be with his family, too. Yeah, and I mean, his father really, really cares about him despite all his flaws and mm-hmm. all the shit he does. I mean, heck, he pretty much self-sacrifices himself, lands himself in jail, too. He does, and that... Son, and he tries to watch out for him. That, that courtroom scene really got to me, not just because of, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis and his friends and then Pete Postlewaite, but also the aunt. Mm-hmm who is also um, convicted of, like, supplying materials or something like that. Like, this entire family yeah. is, I mean, in my view, they're set up, pretty much. They're, they're tortured, in a sense. It's, it's incredible just it's, how much the police wanted these people in jail. Yeah, and it, I mean, that this film has been criticized for some of its inaccuracies, but that part is they really all mm-hmm. went to jail for this yeah. um, for a period of time. For, what, nine years? Is that what it was? So, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, um, I mean, Pete Postlewaite's character, spoiler, spoiler he, alert, he does end up dying in jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, he never sees his freedom, but still. Right. And I mean, in, in real life, I read that, um, you know, in the movie, Daniel Day-Lewis and Pete Postlewaite share a cell. Yeah. Didn't happen in real life. Yeah. But I'm glad they made that decision because it just adds so much more. Those mm-hmm. scenes are, I think they're wonderful. 
especially the one where they've just been landed in jail and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis kind of has this like nervous breakdown in front of his father and ends up like shouting at him just he's because so, he's so angry. And he's and so calm during all this. Yes, yes. I mean, he doesn't leave his room much because he, I mean, he just can't get himself down the stairs and up the mm-hmm. stairs and stuff. But he's so calm through all of this. And it's really Emma Thompson's character who comes to visit Postleway's character it is. before she gets into Daniel Day Lewis's. I mean, she picks him because he's older. Right. She knows he's at least the most innocent of them all, probably, if they're guilty. But Plus, in the beginning, Day Lewis is not cooperative at all. He mm-hmm. wants no part to do with it. Then his dad dies, and he's like, well, shit, I gotta yeah. do right by his name, which is where the title comes from. In the name of the Father. Also, yes. religiously, too. Oh, I didn't think father, about that. Okay. The son, Emma Thompson being the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Because she is. Because she is. I went to Catholic school. (laughs) (laughs) So, Emma Thompson, this was one of two nominations she got this year. She had a good year. She had a very good year. Whoopi, I will say, called her and Holly Hunter out, saying, like, all the best performances are being taken by these two. (laughs) Both of them had double nominations that year. They did, yeah. Emma nominated for supporting actress in this and uh, actress in another film, which we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get to Holly Hunter as well, but mm-hmm. Emma Thompson, she was great in this. She was great in the other film, even she, better. She had won two previous year, so. That's right. Howard's End. Howard's End, okay. She was having a good couple of years. And then she had Sense and Sensibility, like, 95. what, two years later? Yeah, so which she, she did win for, I mean, writing. The, the 90s were kind of her they were. her ballpark. She and was in it. This is still her ballpark. I, I, no, give me wrong, yes, yes. And in fact, I believe she should have been nominated for Saving Mr. Banks, Put me on it, but yes, um, yes she's still great. She was great in that movie. She's great in this, and it is it. This was my. She's my favorite drunk aunt. <laughs> I love her. Of all the films that were nominated for Best Picture and did not win, I think this was my favorite. Um, because, like you, I didn't expect it to dislike it. So too for me. I I I didn't expect to love it, and I kind mm-hmm. of did. I didn't I, expect to care about. Yeah, yeah. They they do a nice job of that. Um, the director, Jim Sheridan, um, who directed Day Lewis in his first Oscar win for My Left Foot, they return here. And yeah, it is. I think it's one of those Day Lewis that films that doesn't immediately stand out, mm-hmm. like um, My Left Foot or Lincoln. Lincoln, There Will Be Blood, Will be Blood even it's, Gangs of New York. I was going to say it's one of his most, like, Tough guy roles, mm-hmm. probably next to Gangs in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And he is good. Definitely not quite on par with those other films. I um, wonder how he got into the method acting of this role, because it's not really like... I read it. Let me... Okay, so... He has notes. I did. I, I This all comes from Wikipedia, so take that as you will. Wikipedia is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Uh, he lost 50 pounds. He spent three days and three nights in prison, and he, like had people come in and like pose as guards and like verbally abuse him and throw water on him he's doing it and he like he used his accent um outside of when he was filming much like he did with lincoln um so yeah i mean i don't so he pretty much did get into this role he did he method acted like hardcore it's it's not as meaty a role as like something like lincoln or there will be blood but still yeah i mean he he it's a it's a good performance, and he really did get into it. He had a lot to 
hey boys, torture me in there. Yeah. But with an Irish accent, which I won't do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because he does so well. Yeah, good movie. Surprise movie. Surprise please, movie. Please, y'all watch it. It's yeah, good. definitely check it out. What's next? What's next? I'm. This is going to be an interesting discussion. I want to ask before we get into it because it's, I would pick it. What do you think would have been the runner-up for Best Picture this year? Which was like, which would have won if Schindler's hadn't been there? Of these five, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the piano. Totally. I feel like it totally would have been the piano. Yeah. Which is our next film. Oh, okay. Yeah. The piano. The piano music here. <laughs> and the reason I think we would both say that it was the next choice is that it received eight nominations and won three of them. This is a very weird year in that for three of the Best Picture, I don't know if it's very weird, but three of the Best Picture nominations shared one win between all three of them, and that win was for Tommy Lee Jones. So... The Piano got three wins that year. Um, Holly Hunter won Best Actress. Anna Paquin uh, became the second youngest person to win a competitive acting Oscar. She's so cute. She is. She was, what, 11? Something, yeah, 11, because Tatum O'Neill was 10. Tatum O'Neill, yep. Um, It also won Best Screenplay, which is also a pretty big precursor Mm -hmm. for Best Picture. At least it can be. Jane Campion Mm -hmm. becomes the second... I think second female. Second. Who would have been the first? Um, it's for an Italian movie, so don't. I can't uh, even quote on that. It's from '77, though. Because I know, like Barbara Streisand got nominated for a Gold Globe for mm-hmm. Yentl. For Yentl, and um, she didn't get one for The Prince of Tides in early '90s. Right. So. Yeah. I'll. We'll get to it. But Jane Campion for this movie, The Piano, did win, co-win the Palme d'Or award. Yes. Which again, first time for a woman. During wow. that in '93, um, she couldn't accept it. This this may be a controversial topic because a lot of people love the piano, love capital L five stars. Mm-hmm. It's considered, I believe, from some magazine, maybe Entertainment Weekly, as one of the best independent films ever. Again, controversial. Here we go. It's fine. It's it, it's it's a good movie. It's well made. By the way, Lena Wurtmuller. Uh, I, I'm saying that completely wrong. The Italian director who was nominated for uh, best director for yeah, Pasqualino Settebelleza. I I don't I can't say it. Bonjour. 1977. Um, That's piano. The piano. It is. It's a good film. I think. I think for me, the first time I watched it, which was in like 2013. I loved it because I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know much about it. The second time, I'm like, mm, it's not that thrilling. The plot's kind of, it's there. It doesn't do anything for me. I think I wrote something like in the Me Too era too. Yes. She kind of falls in love with the man who's abusing her. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly Hunter and Harvey Keitel is the man in question. And it's just kind of, it's off-putting. It is. For this movie. I don't know. There's a lot of choices. Like, if I if I were to watch this in 1993, I'd probably feel much differently about it. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have Me Too going on. And today, watching it in 2018, that has an effect. I mean, I, I still think it's a definitely a good movie. Holly um, Hunter does really good. Holly Hunter is 
amazing in this. Like I like I thought it's a lot of obviously she doesn't speak. It's emotions through like facial characterizations through her movements. It's yes. a good acting lesson. It, it really and and she took on so many roles for this one. She has three screen credits for this movie. For the piano playing itself, for mm-hmm. herself as Ada, and for the narration that she does, that through her voice in her head. Yes, and even then, she's using an accent, mm-hmm. and it's convincing. Like yeah. she wore so many hats for this movie. Not only did she play the piano, she she composed a lot of the pieces, mm-hmm. and so she also taught Anna Paquin sign language. She, she, this is incredible. It's not even American Sign Language either. No, no, it's not. Uh, it's either Australian or New Zealand or Scottish. It's one of the three. Right, because right. Because the character does come from Scotland. That's true. And travels I to forgot New about Zealand. That. Well, first of all, what's the plot of this, though? So there's this woman who, um, her and her daughter, um, are pretty much sold into marriage by her father mm-hmm. to a man who owns some ground on uh, the coast of New Zealand. They're so, from Scotland. They're from Scotland. So they make that journey. Uh, overseas. It's set in the 1850s, and her prized possession is this piano. Um, she kind of sees this piano as her form of communication, in a sense. Um, and it's sort of a character of itself. Too. It really is. It Digital really is. Character. And it's, it's a conflict because her husband, who is played by Sam O'Neill, obviously had a great year. Yeah. Or O'Neill. Sam Neill. Sorry. Yeah. Sam Neill. Um, he is the husband. He he says the piano is too big. We can't put it anywhere. Leave it on the beach. So he literally leaves this giant piano on the beach when she gets there. Mm-hmm. And the way she comes into playing it again is through this kind of agreement between Harvey Keitel's character, who works on that land. He agrees to take her down to play it. He agrees to take it in, and he tells they tell Sam Neill that he wants Holly Hunter to give him quote-unquote piano lessons hmm. that's not what happens um again spoiler alert harvey Keitel. yeah gets, he gets to touch her yeah and in exchange she gets to play a few notes on the piano it's like proceeds from there what is it for every white key yeah right or is it something like, it's it's something to do with the keys like for every key yeah i get to do something to you whether it's like touch her leg or get literally under her petticoat, yep, it's it's interesting it, enough. It's and so creepy. Slowly, I mean, their relationships are just at first just they know each other. They're not friends. She just wants her piano, but slowly she becomes attracted back to him. Yeah, which is weird. It's just, I mean, Sam Neil and her aren't. They don't. They're just married. They don't connect in any way yeah. whatsoever. I mean, they met. They're not, like, in love or anything, so what else is she to do? And I feel like part of my criticism of the film is that Sam Neill felt underused. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty much like this whole film, he's this, like, awkward guy who has his wife and then just goes complete batshit evil. Uh-huh. Um, he has the really dramatic scene. Yes. When he finds out that they've been fooling around. Yes. I mean, he Harvey Keitel essentially, like, he essentially rapes her. I mean, she she gives consent, but only because of that partnership that yeah. they've made. It's not. It's it's pressured. It's yeah. forced. It's coerced. I mean, even her daughter. Her daughter's like ten, eleven years old. Mm-hmm. She's like, can't, shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, we've been told not to go over there. Stop sending him stuff. Right. It's only going to land us both in hot water. Yep. Because they're they're pretty much a team. 
her and her daughter. Yeah, they're a great pair. Their yeah. chemistry is really good. Mm-hmm. And Anna Paquin is, I mean, I think of all the child performances I've seen in films over the years, some of the standouts, like... Um, Jacob Tremblay Room. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Quivangene Wallace in Beast of the Southern Wild. Quivangene? Yeah. Quivangene. Quivangene. Isn't that how it's pronounced? It's been a um, Where is she? She, I don't know. She did Annie and then... Come back to us. They put her in an Annie movie. And, but also, um, one of my favorites, The Young Boy and Bicycle Thieves. Great oh, yeah, performance. Uh, but Anna Paquin is right up there. She mm-hmm. is really, really good. I think she's... I. And her Oscar win is such a shock to everybody, and even to herself. It is. Because I was telling you before this that she pretty much heavy breathes for a good 45 seconds before she starts thinking anybody because she's stunned. She, she's 11 years old. She yeah. has to go up and speak in front of all these people and because she put on this amazing performance. And the last person to have done that was in like early 70s, Tatum O'Neill. So it's like, yeah. how many times does this ever happen? It's kind of like a big deal for you, little Anna. It never happens. I look at the category that year. I mean, you had Holly Hunter in The Firm, which I didn't see. Mm-hmm. Rosie Perez in Fearless, the... Um, Peter Weir. Peter Weir film. I've seen it. Is it good? It's good. She's good in it. She liked my tweet when I was like, Rosie is so good in this. That's Jeff Bridges, correct? Yeah. Plane Crash. Yeah. Um, Winona Ryder in The Age of Innocence, which we'll get to, and then Emma Thompson, Name of the Father. So, I mean, it's not, personally, from what I've seen, it's not a loaded category like uh, Best Actor, Best Actress that year. Um but she does stand out. Like, she could win that award, I think, in a number of years. Mm-hmm. Or, like, she would be deserving in a number of years. And I don't think, too, she won many awards for it leading up, like, major awards, anyway. Uh, no, she did not. Winona Ryder did for Age of Innocence. Really? Yeah, and BAFTA went to Marion Margulies' Age of Innocence. I have some thoughts on that. We'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, wow. Winona Ryder, I bet she was upset. Maybe not. Um, yeah, the movie's... I mean, I, I say choices because especially at the end, there's a big choice that I've read that Jane Campion totally changed. She mm-hmm. changed the ending pretty much because in the ending, when they're sailing off for another part of New Zealand, uh, Ada throws herself, throws a piano in the ocean. Mm-hmm. She ties herself to it and she starts uh, obviously sinking. Not purposely. Yeah. Like it catches her as, she's, yeah. as it's thrown in. But And then there's a... I mean, there's a choice. I don't know if I should spoil it for people or not. Go, no, go for it. Okay, so originally, Campion wrote that she does die mm-hmm. with the piano. I thought she was going to. Yeah. Well, in this case, she's like, mm, she survives to go live with Harvey Keitel. Yeah. The man who, like, raped her. His his, his character change is so sudden. Mm-hmm. It's like he's this, I don't want to say dirty, but kind of, like, rough guy who coerces this woman. And they do, one of their, like love scenes is i it was pretty like exotic and yeah. you, there you could feel the passion there between the two but the way it happens the way it comes to that is very quick and sudden and he all of a sudden becomes this really good guy and they go on to be happy together the ending scene is like she's let go of the piano and she's filled that hole in her life again because of veins and maybe she'll talk Maybe she'll talk and she's working on it. She's not like she, it's not an accident why she doesn't talk. She just chose one day not to right. talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that she's um, mute like, you know, Sally Hawkins in Shape of Water or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think 
the defining features of this film, obviously the two performances from Paquin and Hunter. Mm -hmm. The cinematography mm -hmm. is very good, even though it's like very dim. Yeah, the lighting isn't huge. It's gloomy. It is very gloomy. Most of it takes place in like a very wooded forest that's totally encased with mud. And it makes you feel that way. Yeah. And you're you're you feel trapped yourself. You really do. She's trapped. You're trapped. You gotta face this. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, like this, did win an award for the screenplay. I thought the dialogue was good. I thought. Obviously, the story could use some work, mm -hmm. could use a little more time. I feel that most from the screenplay comes from the story itself and not the dialogue. Like most of the... I mean, most of like the quiet one. Mm. Because, I mean, you don't have a lot of dialogue from Holly Hunter at all. That's true. That's true. That's all her, though. Because I wonder how the screenplay works. Like, if I read it, what would it say? Like, add points to something. Yeah, that's Added true. this. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, what else would have won? Piano, Dave, and Line of Fire, Philadelphia, Sleepless in Seattle. In the Line of Fire, isn't that like an action movie? I think so. It's it's Clint Eastwood directed it. No, he didn't. Or no, he he's stars in it. it. He's yeah. in it. Okay. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Oh, okay. Oh, I see Sleepless in Seattle though. Ooh, my thoughts change. Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia, both nominated in that category. Also should have been nominated Groundhog Day, but I would be down for that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that as well. All right. Well, that's the piano. Um, you really enjoy the next one. So I'm going to let yes. you take this one away. The Remains of the Day. Yes. A British period piece set in World War II, pre-World War II London and uh, post-World War II London. Mm -hmm. um, but it has Anthony Hopkins, again, Emma Thompson. She got a Best Actress nomina nomination for this. He did as well. Uh, best Actor, not Actress, although I'm sure he could have portrayed an actress anyway um so it's pretty much the like a day in the life well a lot of days of a butler and just his pretty much his life as the butler his master i don't know if you would say master yeah what would you call him the guy he works for employer i guess employer, i don't know a pretty much a nazi sympathizer mm -hmm. um it, that's i mean it's something that they don't talk about but he knows and it's a position that, as a butler, pretty much as a man in the shadows, you don't take an opinion on. Yes. He hires Emma Thompson as the new housekeeper. They sort of have a rocky relationship where he kind of puts her off to the side, ignores her. She sees things that are going on in the house, such as his ailing father, mm -hmm. doing some things that he shouldn't be, just you know, moving things that shouldn't be moved and stuff. Right. Again, a, sort of a cold shoulder. And it's just pretty much their relationship to mm -hmm. each other, his relationship to the house, all the subsequent events. Totally. I think it's one of my favorite period pieces. Yeah. I'm not big on like a hoity-toity Me either. Costume At drama all. from the 1800s. All this is 1940s, 1930s. But it does um, have that vibe. Yeah. Um, this is a Merchant Ivory production too. Mm, right. So they made such films as Howard of N, Maurice, A Room with a View, which I love. Um, but it's one of my favorites. I think Hopkins gives a really good performance here. Oh, he totally does. Yeah. He's and, so good. I mean, even with Thompson, they do have chemistry with each other, especially at the end when they meet up after years and years. Um, and there's that one scene with the book. 
That is such a good scene. It is such it's a good so scene. Very good. One of the best scenes of the year, yeah. I think. I mean, it's kind of sensual, but it's like he's trying to push her away. Right. He wants his privacy, and she's trying to open up to him and trying to get him to open up to her, but it doesn't work. It, it's not a typical um, man, woman, yeah. possible love interest relationship. Yeah. Because I've heard this described as a romance. Mm. It doesn't really come off that way. You the, Emma Thompson has feelings for him, I think. Yeah. And I think he has feelings for her, but it's his well, job I don't know. Not it, it's his job not to have feelings, and he's he he's been a butler for so long that that is his life. He's not made to show feelings like that. Where she is, she has a lot. Of, she has a big personality mm-hmm. um, that goes beyond her being a housekeeper, the head housekeeper. Um, and and also, like I said, it flashes forward to post World War Two, where the house is being sold, but mm-hmm. he's allowed to stay because it's bought by Christopher Reeve. He's so good in this. He is. Um, he kind of has a small role, but yeah, I mean, I it's substantial. I just really enjoy. It. Part of it is just because he has a likable character. Like he he spends time with all these socialites, these high society guys, mm-hmm. but he is also more noble. He's American, um, too. And, he, and he's American. Um, I mean, he knows that supporting Nazi Germany is probably not the best thing. Right. And I, the Lord Darlington, the Darlington. original... Darlington Holt. Darlington. Um, I can't think of who plays him. I think it's James Fox. That sounds right. It's the father from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Veruca. Oh, that's yes, where I've seen, seen him, him before. Yep. Okay. I was trying to figure that out. Yep. Yes, James Fox. Um, but his, his whole idea is that the world is better off when Germany is united and strong mm-hmm. and he is kind of like, let's appease them. Like there was this policy of appeasement for a long time. And it's part of the reason that World War II began because we didn't, nobody stepped in and stopped the Nazis before it became so huge. And he supports that. He's like, let them do their thing. The world is better off when German is a strong nation. They're not going to attack us. Yeah, this isn't going to be that bad as you guys think. It is. <laughs> you thought. And the scenes that take place in the present, you know, that keep flashing back mm-hmm. to, those are really interesting because it's Anthony Hopkins going to visit Emma Thompson. He now works for Christopher Reeve, who has bought the house. Um, and everybody, you know, he tells him he works at Darlington Hall. Oh, he worked. Worked. Yeah. Yes. Because they know that Darlington himself was a Nazi sympathizer. Right. It, it's public. Yeah. yeah. But uh, there's that good scene where his car breaks down and he stays at the inn. Mm-hmm. And the guy helps him. And he said, did you know Lord Darlington? He's like, no, I did not. Yes. And then flash forward five seconds later, he's like, so I did lie to you. I did know him. Yes. I did know what he was about, what his thoughts were and stuff. And it's the guy's kind of silent. I don't think it means a whole lot anymore. Because Darlington's gone. Yeah. It's something he's semi-ashamed about. But, yeah, at the same time, like, Britain is still recovering yeah. at this point. Like, a lot of destruction and whatnot. So, at the same time, it's like, you didn't say anything. You stood by this man. And Anthony Hopkins says, I still respect him. Yeah. Not that I agree with him, but I respect Lord Darlington. And, again, he's just a butler in the shadows who's not supposed to pretty much make a sound. It's his whole life. And Anthony Hopkins does such a good job in that... This is a character that, with another actor, he could have been so dull mm-hmm. and lifeless. He still um, could have been dull. Like, yeah, too. it it really could have been. But 
between Hopkins and of course Thompson, they there's just something about the way that he presents it that you really do kind of feel for this character. Um, and he just puts on a really great performance. It was one of my favorite performances from that year, for sure. Overall, good movie. Eight nominations, did not win any. Um, didn't win any. Did, yeah, uh, costume design, score, a lot of technical stuff, but also the writing, director, I remember, I remember James when Ivory. I first watched this, I was in high school, and it was like after a football game. You'd come home thinking, what are you going to watch? something <laughs> after a football game. I was like, yeah, the remains of the day. The remains of the day. And I fell in love with it. And then I watched it last year, and I was like, damn, I really love this movie. You know, I, I watched it, and I was like, that was good. The the three days after, I thought about it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. I I liked it more and more and more the more I thought about it. And I was like, what wow, is, there's so much going on magical. there. It is. Um, talk a little bit about the book scene. What's going on there? Because it's something I've seen multiple critics talk about that scene. Yeah. So pretty much, like I said, it's Anthony Hopkins is reading his book. Sort of his time just to relax, whatever, nobody needs him. Emma Thompson comes up. She's like, what book are you reading? And he's like, ma'am, please, if you don't mind, this is my time. She's like, what book are you reading? And they literally get so close to each other that you think they're going to kiss. Yes. But they're not. But she grabs that book just to see what it is. What is the book? I feel like I should know what the book is. It's like an artsy romance novel. Yeah. And I mean, it's something I don't think she would expect him to be reading. Well, she says, like, are you reading, like, essentially a porno novel is what she suspects. And he's like, no, because he seems so embarrassed about it. Yeah. Then she takes it and she's like, wow, you're reading a sexual novel, but it's also very elegant. And mm-hmm. he says, I read it for the vocabulary. <laughs> that scene, <laughs> it's though, like, is like, it's something. It's. I think it's the most iconic scene in that movie. Oh, it totally because is. Because he does allow her to die. Like, she does take the book. He doesn't pull it back or anything. But it's just the way that their bodies are connected. That's as open as he's going to be in that movie. Yeah. That's as far as it's going to go. It's like all of his feelings about people, his love interest is just in a book. Right. In this this particular book that he's reading at the moment. And you kind of get the sense that he's going to open up a little bit in the end. Mm -hmm. He goes to meet her. Um, She's just had a divorce. um, So she's single. Um, But he just finds himself unable to do that. Mm -hmm. He... There's a scene where they're waiting for the, the bus and he's in the rain. That's another She's great like, you scene. Can see, you can come over here. It's yeah. fine. And then there's the other scene. I think it's the same scene when they're meeting again after the first time for years where she's talking to him and he's talking to her, but he's looking off in the distance. Yeah. And just like, you know, back and forth conversation, but he doesn't want to look at her. Yeah. It's like, does that... he have feelings for her? Obviously, he can't. He still can't. He can't relate them. He can't relate them. Because he's still a butler. That's his whole life. I mean, he doesn't, he barely even reacts when his dad dies. Mm-hmm. Like, his dad dies while working, and he kind of like, okay, bye, dad, and then goes back to work. Yeah. And that, that's it. That's all there is. He's 24 7. That's, I was kind of surprised that this wasn't based on a play. Yeah. Because so much of it takes place it's a book. in Darlington Hall. It was a book. Um, Coswell, Coswell, um, Ishiguro. Ishiguro. Mm hmm. Um, who I believe just won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, something like that. He won some big prize for it. Mike Nichols was originally supposed to be the director of this. He did produce it. Which, yes, and yeah, he was a producer. Uh, but definitely one of the more, it's a very British film. 
It's one of BFI's top 100 British films ever or something like that. It's what she deserves. It is. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Really good movie. Okay. I think the moment has come. Dun, dun, dun. We're ready to talk about the big one. I bet you're shocked I know that. that the violin. Yeah. And, oh, it's so heartbreaking. There's a good video of just, um, it's like a concert version of it, where the violin comes in and you're like, oh my god. The movie we're in questioning, we're talking about here is, of course, Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg's, one of his best. One of his masterpieces. Probably. His most personal film. I mean, objectively, probably his best film ever. I mean, if you... Okay, agree, disagree, but fine. I... You thought. I would say either this or Saving Private Ryan, oh, which are like... Here's the thing about Spielberg. Okay, he, for so long... He's my idol. Well, that too. I, I feel weird talking about this because I have different opinions, but go. This was... Schindler's List was his first R-rated film, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of crazy because he made Jaws. He made the first two Indiana Jones films, which are pretty heavy. He pretty much made um, Poltergeist. Yeah, pretty much made Poltergeist. Just scary. Um, but he has all these like kind of like, I don't want to say lighthearted, but more like joyful films like E.T. that you put mm-hmm. on and you just enjoy on a day. Um, or even Jurassic Park, even though it's like violence and whatnot. It's still just one that you put on and you enjoy. It's for families. It's, in a way it is, yeah. And Schindler's List and later on Saving of Private Ryan are like about as R-rated as you can get mm-hmm. um, from film and dark. Um but Schindler's List. His first adult film though being The Color Purple. Yes. Which he said if he didn't make The Color Purple, he didn't know if he could make Schindler's List. And this was not not easy to make. Yeah. One I probably one of the more most difficult films to ever make. Not because it's hard to make production-wise, that's part of it too, but just the emotional impact. How does a man make a movie about dinosaurs, everybody running, and then make a movie about the Holocaust in, in the, the same, same year? year. And both of them are classics. I mean, he said he had Robin Williams call in and make jokes. Yes. Watch episodes oh. of Seinfeld. But even then. He had to. I know. He, he, he would have lost his mind if he didn't. The way he came into directing this film, um, which if you haven't heard of the film, where have you been? You're under a rock. Um, it is a Holocaust film about Oscar Schindler, um, who up until... The novel, not the novel, but the book that this film was inspired by, Schindler's Ark, and then this film, wasn't very well known historically. He um, he hired Jewish workers for his factory. Um, they made metal or workplace, casings. Made metal, made metal casings. And in a way, that evolved into him using that as a platform to save over 1,000 Jewish people mm-hmm. um, from the Nazis during the Holocaust. There's a really cool statistic at the end of this film that really puts it in place that he saved, if you take the descendants of all the Jewish people he saved, they outnumber the people, the Jewish people who lived in Poland when this film was made. More, they're called the Schindler Juden. There are more of them than lived in Poland, where a lot of them, where most Jews lived during the Holocaust. It wasn't actually Germany, it was Poland. And even after that, that just spanned 48 years. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is a time when... Part of the reason that Spielberg made this film was because Holocaust deniers were yeah. really coming up during this time. And yeah. that um, was a big deal. David Irving being one of the most mm. famous ones. Is Irving. he the one that that Rachel Weisz film was about? Yes, okay. which I watched 
actually last really? night. Really? Yes. Nice. So when I was watching Schindler's List, I was looking into Holocaust deniers and stuff and why. And there's a movie called Denial with Rachel Weisz and Timothy Spalton about David Irving, one of the most famous deniers. And you watch Schindler's List and you read about Irving and you're like, how can anybody think this? Yeah, I mean... I mean, and, and also I think Spielberg as a Jewish man himself. Like mm-hmm. I said, it is his most personal film. He went, though, he approached Scorsese to direct this. Scorsese's like, hey, man. Scorsese was attached for a while. Yeah. And then he's like, Spielberg's like, you know what, I'll direct it. How about you direct Cape Fear? And I think mm-hmm. Cape Fear was Scorsese's biggest box office hit. Mm-hmm. So they both got successes in a very different way. You had Roman Polanski mm-hmm. in line, but he felt that he wasn't ready for it as right. a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, he even approached Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder, which, whose family was also killed in the Holocaust. Yeah, and he, I think somewhere around, it would have been his most personal film too. Yeah. But he really. said, Spielberg just, Stephen, just make this movie. <laughs> hey, he had an accent. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Roman Polanski went on to make The Pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, which he was, it's like his, he's finally ready to talk about it through that yeah. movie. Yeah. Roman Polanski, definitely a very controversial figure which we talked about last time mm-hmm. um that win for best director for the pianist very controversial mm-hmm. but that stadium or that stadium that place erupted when he won yeah. <laughs> um but schindler's list is it's spielberg's message to never forget the holocaust yeah it's because in his acceptance speech for best picture he said that this film and i agree with this needs to be taught to people it does I mean, it's three hours long, but still showed in the school. And I think along with this, Shoah, which you and I have seen like parts of, a couple hours of, it's long, um, and Night and Fog. Mm-hmm. I think those are three Holocaust films that should be mandatory viewing. They should be, absolutely. Because the Holocaust, I mean, there's been a statistic just this year where people are not, they don't know what, it, young people don't know what it is. Yeah. And it's like, how do you not know what it is? This is one of the most important and awful events in human history. I mean, you think about people often say we learn from history. Of course, the Holocaust won't happen again. No, it can. Mm-hmm. Um, concentration camps have. Do I even need to bring up the recent event where they've mm. pretty much been considered um, for immigrant children? Um, in our country. In our country, Not and so European country in America. I totally agree with those three picks. Um, Night and Fog is what thirty minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's so haunting, yeah. um, and extremely well. It's it's so good. One of my, probably my one, of, maybe my favorite short film ever. Um, Shoah is what eight hours long. Mm-hmm. See, Claude Landsman did not like Schindler's List. Yeah. I saw like he, from what I took from it, I, I didn't completely understand his criticism, but it sounded like he was saying. Shoah was meant to be the last time that we needed to talk about this in this way. And if that's what he's saying, maybe I'm completely misreading it, but I totally disagree because, like, how many people are going to go watch an eight-hour film about the Holocaust? Yeah. Like, and Schindler's List is long. I mean, even we watch Shoah in, like, a two-hour segment of it. Yeah, and it Shoah's hard to sit through, not just because it's about the Holocaust, but because it is mostly talky yeah. interviews not that that's a bad thing i mean it's obviously a great it's a masterpiece it's witness testimonies pretty much yeah but schindler's list is it's a single story of a single man doing a single event mm-hmm. but in the bigger scope of it it's the holocaust it is and there are a lot of times when like he only saves a thousand people 
But there's more out there he could have saved. There's that scene at the end. Yes. Where he's like, this pen that I have could have bought me two people. This car could have got me ten people. And mm-hmm. it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes. Yeah, what do you think of that scene where he, like, breaks down in front of, um, what is it, Stein? Mm-hmm. Uh, ben King's a character. I love that scene. Me too. It's. I mean, it's the first time you really see him emotional. The war's over. His side lost. He knows that he'll probably be captured, arrested, maybe killed. Yeah, he's trying to go into exile. Yeah. Um, I think they do eventually find themselves in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does. He breaks down saying that he could, if he could have done more, how many more lives could he have saved? Right. I mean, he saved a thousand as it is, but he wanted to save more somehow. Right. And one of the things I love about this film is that it doesn't completely glamorize him. When this is beginning, his intent is not to save Jews. Yeah. It is, these are workers, they are cheap, um, I don't have to pay them that much. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm helping them out, whatever, they're helping me out. And then him and his wife witness the liquidation of the ghetto uh, and kind of the death and destruction and whatnot. Of course, the little girl in the red the, jacket. Yep, exactly. It's like out of all these people, you don't see her. Yep. And then later on, it's a scene that surprisingly people I know don't, notice right away you see what happens to her mm-hmm. and it's like you have to really pay attention but. it's the girl in the little red jacket has been studied relentlessly mm-hmm. she represents so much um, Spielberg said part of it was just the bloodshed um, a lot of people have said that she kind of represents the countries that didn't do anything because as she's walking through the ghetto she's just kind of like a uh, walking as if she's not noticing what's mm-hmm. going on around her and she runs and hides um, it gives me chills just thinking about yeah. it because Schindler sees her and he notices her and that's part of her reasoning as well is that she's kind of what gets him realizing wow there's, there's a bigger meaning behind this mm-hmm. and then once again spoiler alert she's later on seen her dead body is seen in the wheelbarrow mm-hmm. and she's being taken off to be burned um, which is part of a really really incredible sequence where like you see Schindler and others like walking outside and it's black and white except for the girl in the red. And it looks like it's snowing. It's not snowing. Snow. It's ashes. <laughs> like it is the remnants of Jewish people being burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was extremely difficult There's to There's a few witness. cutaway scenes in this movie that I really liked that I pointed out. I should run my notebook, but I know for one, it's one of the first instances where the people are being pushed into the trains on the mm-hmm. way to one of the camps. And then it cuts away to the background of where all their luggage is going. Oh, and it's literally yes. other Jewish people opening the luggage, separating everything out, and you just see the piles and piles, which if you go to Auschwitz today, mm-hmm. the museum, you see the piles and piles of shoes, of yep. books, of notebooks, of clothes, of everything. And it's just like, a, it's like not even an Oscar Schindler scene Yep. It's just Spielberg saying, okay, well, you know these people. You know where these people are going right here. But let me show you what's happening in the background. Yeah. Like these people and, do not know. And that's what I love about this film is that it is Oscar Schindler's story, but there's a lot of the movie that does not involve him that is showing what happened to these people. And it's it's shot in a documentary style, mm-hmm. but is also very cinematic. It's a It feels weird to say, but it's a gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. It totally... Like, um, Janusz Kaminski? Yes. Yeah, um, totally deserved that Oscar. I think this was the first time he worked with Spielberg. 
And it was a good thing, too, to put it in black and white. Oh, great decision. Because he did that to show just the brutality and the grittiness of it all. And when I see the violence, like, I've seen a lot of violent movies. I've seen some that, obviously, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know what is realistic and what isn't. Mm -hmm. But when I watch this, it feels more realistic than anything I've ever seen. It's not sugar-coated. It's not. There's a scene where, like, they pull this guy out of his... um, his ghetto, his apartment, his tenement or whatever, mm-hmm. throw him on the ground and like shoot him point blank in the back of the head. I had to pause the movie because I was like, what the fuck did is, I just see? This is the movie where somebody's in a wheelchair and they just throw them out the window, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's other scene where the worker, the woman, is telling them that this roof ain't going to hold up and uh, Ray finds Amon Golf pretty much says, oh, so you're a smart Jew. Shooter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And that was. And, and then he agrees. He's like, "Oh, she was right. It's yeah. not gonna hold up." And Spielberg again. He he's known for happy-go-lucky movies. He's not holding back. He's gonna show you actually shooting people, and see them fall to the ground. It doesn't cut and away. It shows you like I hate these statements that like people sometimes make like, "Why didn't the Jews rise up, and fight back?" And it's like, mm-hmm. the brutality, of these people like Hitler. Is barely even mentioned in this movie. Mm-hmm. It was not just him. Ray Fine's character is based on an actual human. In fact, some of the um, Schindler Juden saw him in his costume and were like, oh my God, yeah. he looks just like <laughs> him. And it terrified them. And he is as evil. He will kill them for whatever he feels like. He sits on his porch and snipes them down. Yeah. There's a scene where like he has this boy who's, what is he, scrubbing something? And he tells him, he's like, I'm sorry. He, he like screws up or something. He's like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. He's like, you're fine. Go away. And you think, why well, is he going to let him go? No. He shoots him as he's running away. Yeah. Like it's – Ray Fiennes in this movie. He's pure evil. He's, like I thought about Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Take that times two. You've got yeah. Ray Fiennes in this movie. I mean, and amazing that like you said, Oscar Schindler's not looking to save anybody at first. But his heart changes with the liquidation of the ghetto. And mm-hmm. then it's like he lightens up, especially with the train sequence when everybody's hot. Yeah. It's a hot day. And he douses everybody with the water. And you have Ray Fine going, That's cruel, Oscar. That's cruel. You're giving them hope. It's like, oh. come on. And then this, the shower scene. That is. Where the women are accidentally sent to Auschwitz. Right? Yes. Are they the ones. They're his. That partners. get an actual shower. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah, because they're accidentally sent to Auschwitz. That's right, that's right. When they're supposed to be going to work for Schindler, and they get undressed, they go into the showers. I mean, from accounts that you've read, I've read, um, some knew what was going to happen. So the lights go out, they all start screaming, you hear water, and it is water. Yeah. They are getting a shower, they're not dying. That's... Because they got the message just in time that these are not supposed to be people to die. These are Schindler's yes. workers that he paid for. Um, Michael Haneke hated that scene. He said it was really dumb. I like put yourself in that situation. Mm-hmm. That I I I can't say I felt what they would be feeling, but it feels like you do because you're just sitting there about to just freaking break down because yeah. you know what's coming. And then it's like, oh. It's just water. The criticisms of this movie are kind of interesting. The only ones that I can kind of validate are those that are like they're just trying to Hollywoodize the movie. It's like, okay, but something like a documentary, is, it's it's understandable, I guess. Right. But obviously it's going to be Hollywoodized. It's a movie. It's a movie, and 
you know, Spielberg is often criticized for that, like, um, I don't say glamorizing things, but making them more cinematic and mm-hmm. things like that. I don't, I don't, I, I have very few, if any, like real complaints about this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so well done. Um, I've seen this movie in theaters. Yeah, how many times have you seen this? Um, I'll say four or five. Four or five. I saw it last before this uh, viewing in theaters for the twentieth. Mm, and there was five a, years ago. There was a family watching it, and the two girls and the mom had to leave halfway through. I don't think they could take it. Well, and I was trying to think on the way up here, like, at what age do you first show someone this movie? I was probably myself, like, 11 or 12. 11? Yeah. Because obviously you can't fully comprehend it at that age, but you also don't want to frighten someone away from watching mm-hmm. it again when they get older. And, of course, for me, I was watching it just because I wanted to see a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to watch Best Picture movies, and I was like, well, I haven't seen this yet. I don't think I fully grasped what was happening. Yeah, but... but I did learn about the Holocaust in fourth grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did too. My teacher was a big proponent on, like, history lessons. So that's when that was learned. I learned about it probably fourth or fifth grade, and then my English teacher, actually. So the way our U.S. history class works, like, our history teacher, U.S. history, it was really hard to, like, fit in the Holocaust in with World War II. So our English teacher taught us a section on it. Mm-hmm. Um she wanted to show us Schindler's List, but she felt it was she couldn't mm-hmm. get away with it, <laughs> in a sense. And this this film, it's one of those films that you don't edit down. In fact, the first time it was shown on TV, it was unedited. Yeah, a lot of people had problems with it because it's very violent. There's a lot of nudity, mm-hmm. um, although most ninety percent of it is non-sexual in any way, obviously. Yeah. Um, and of course, like a few F words thrown in there, stuff yeah. like that. But it's an important, movie. it's so it's important. An important witness. It, it's and again, going back to Spielberg's speech for when he won Best Picture, he said again to use this in classrooms because you have at that time in '94 you have over three hundred thousand expert history teachers. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was like, oh, there's that many people who know this. I'm like, oh no. The people who live through this. Yeah. The people who can tell yep. you what's what. And the scene at the very end, which mm. um, on paper, if you told me that's how it ended, I'd be like, yeah. that's way over the top. Like, Coffee. gosh, yeah. Like, But it's really, really something. All, all the Schindler Juden who are still alive, they um, visit. And their descendants. And their descendants and the actors who played them. Mm-hmm. Uh, visit Schindler's grave and they leave um, what do they leave is it they rocks stones stones, yeah. stones. Schindler he's, he's buried in Israel too oh that's right like a ceremonial type deal right yeah I'll find it while you talk Schindler did not live the hero's life after this happened he went into exile him and his fam- his wife went to Argentina they got a divorce he went broke he did not get any type of credit for this um, until Schindler's Ark was written. He was not studied. Mm -hmm. He did not live a happy life or anything like that after this occurred. Um, Which is another reason why I'm glad Spielberg chose to tell this specific story. And Spielberg did feel a sense of duty with it um, for his family and for all those who were killed. So Schindler... 
Pardon my interruption. No, go ahead. Um, he is buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. It's a Catholic, yes. Catholic cemetery. He's the only member of the Nazi party to be honored in this way. That's right. And his gravestone reads in Hebrew, Righteous Among the Nations, which is an honorific honor um, used by the state of Israel to describe non-Jews who risked their lives during the Holocaust to save Jews from extermination. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something. And yeah, he was a member of the Nazi party. And like him and Ray Fiennes in this movie, they are like, obviously Schindler is playing him the whole time. But mm-hmm. Ray Fiennes, he thinks they're friends. Um, they're, they're not. <laughs> Schindler is playing your ass, dude. But um, Ben Kingsley also is really good in this movie. I, I kind of, if I have a criticism, I would say I wish we had more of him. There was a casting choice in that. I like Ben Kingsley a lot. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was really first chosen. Really? For that role? Yeah. Um, miscommunication, though, between him and... Spielberg lost mm. the but still, I think Ben Kingsley does a good job in he himself. He's really good, and Liam Neeson was chosen because you know Spielberg kind of had the option to put a more well-established actor in there, but Liam Neeson at this time was relatively unknown, mm-hmm. um, and to date, still by far his best performance. Yeah, like he's kind of become an action movie star now. Honestly, though, but <laughs> it's his best performance. Oh yeah, like not even close. Yeah, but. Any last thoughts on Schindler's List? I guess I let's go over. I don't think we mentioned nominations and wins yet. Um, it obviously won Best Picture, Spielberg Best Director, Best Screenplay, Cinematography, Art Direction, Editing, and Score. So nearly all the technical categories um, nominated: Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, the costume design, the sound, and the makeup. Hmm. Um, it was also a worldwide. Big time box office hit that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it made. It didn't reach a hundred here. Didn't it? But still ninety some. Ninety six. Yeah. Good. It, it was. It was still number nine domestically, number four worldwide that year. Um, which of the best picture nominees, the only one that did better was The Fugitive, which was number three in the world and the U.S. that year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. If you haven't seen it, this is my first time. It's it's hard to prepare yourself for it. Yeah. You really can't. Uh, but it, it is for some people just a one-time viewing. It is just because of the subject. Yeah, and it it's it's tough, but it's a it's important. It's a masterpiece. It's it's the only film, I think, past nineteen eighty that is in the AFI top ten from two thousand seven. It's listed at like number eight or nine. I think the next one is Raging Bull. Say that again. It's like in the AFI top one hundred lists. The two thousand seven update Schindler's List is like number eight or nine. And I think that's the only one later than 1980 that's in there. Wrong. Wrong. What's the other one? It's Schindler's List. Then. Rankings. Oh, you mean highest rankings? Yes. Oh, yes. see, I'm dumb. Okay, you're right. He's right. Because Raging Bull is number four. He's and always right. Boom. I thought he was talking about the years. Oh, no, no. There are films from, like, 98 or 99 or something. Um, Yeah. Any last thoughts? Schindler's List. Great movie. Great movie. There you go. We're going to take a quick break again. We're going to look at, uh, when we come back, some other films that were released this year. We'll get down to, like, what we would have nominated our favorite films from that year. And, yeah. See you soon, folks. 
The Oscar goes to, this is a big surprise, Steven Spielberg for seven years now. Actually, uh, I have friends who have won this before. <laughs> but, and I swear, I have never held one before. This is the first time I've ever had one of these in my hand. So, <clears throat> hey, listeners. If you've reached this point, you're at the end of part one for this episode. If you would like to hear our thoughts on other films from 1993, be sure to check out part two. Thanks for listening.